Hello and welcome to Truth Be Known, stories about how modern data leaders seek truth in an uncertain world. Today's episode features an interview with Philip O'Donnell, Group SVP for Global Data Platforms at the ADECO Group, the world's leading talent advisory and solutions company. Philip has 13 years of experience in data analytics leadership and strategy consulting across a variety of industries. Prior to his current role, Philip served as Director of Data Science at LHH, a global business unit of the ADECO Group. On this episode, Philip discusses managing data at a big enterprise, how to prevent business decisions based on bad data, and turning data into dollars. Truth Be Known is brought to you by Talon, a leader in data integration and data governance. Talon enables data and analytics leaders to deliver healthy data across their organization to drive business outcomes. Talon Data Fabric is the only platform that seamlessly combines a suite of data integration and governance capabilities to ensure data is complete, clean, uncompromised, and readily available. Learn more at talent.com. T-A-L-E-N-D.com. And now, please enjoy this conversation between Philip O'Donnell, Group SVP for Global Data Platforms at the ADECO Group, and your host, Rob Norman. Welcome to Truth Be Known. I'm Rob, and today I'm joined by Philip O'Donnell. Philip, it is great to have you on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks a lot. I appreciate having me on. So um, obviously now you are Group SVP of Global Data Platforms at the ADECO Group, and you've had a really interesting journey that has led you to this point, starting out in management consulting. So um, I'd love to start by just understanding a bit about how you ended up as you know the group SVP of global data platforms. And when you first started out, was it always the plan to, to, to lead a, a, a data function? No, I mean, it, you know, it's, it's a long journey, I think, for everybody that finds themselves with the data space. The shape that it's in now didn't really exist even you know, 10 years ago. So uh, I, I started out more from the management consulting side, which what we call data science now, we used to just call strategy and analysis. And you do it in a management consulting company or an investment bank or something like that. Um, so I, I, I started in it from a strategic planning standpoint. Um, if any of your listeners are familiar with the balance scorecard, uh, I, I worked for originally the company that was sort of commercializing that as a performance management methodology. And so uh, a lot of our focus was on analyzing metrics and how they drove strategy and how they drove performance. And once you start down that road and you, and you start getting really fascinated by how you can use you know metrics and, 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 and numbers to drive performance, it, it takes you toward that analysis. It takes you toward the data. And as the, the, the industries evolve toward bigger and bigger data, needing bigger and bigger tools, you start to see this question of, do you want to focus more on how it's being analyzed and how it's being shown? Or do you want to focus more on kind of how it works and how it's structured and the, the, the scale problems that come with organizing data in a really large enterprise? Um, and, and I found myself gravitating toward the, the infrastructure side, which if you're into the space is just, it's fascinating if you can really dive into it. Yeah. And it's, and it's, it's amazing how like that's, um, evolved over the years. I was actually watching, um, one of your presentations at a, a recent conference that you did a few, a few years ago where you started off by talking about two types of data scientists. You talked about the hoodies, which are the technicals and the sports coats. Um, yeah. and you were saying that for you, you're, you're, you're kind of the nexus of where you are your best at is actually a con the, the, the conduit of the two coming together. Is that how you see the evolution of your career? 
Yeah, I mean, even the idea that there were two roles there that you could describe that were not the same thing, you know, I think is something that evolves as the industry gets more complicated and you see these roles start to diverge. Machine learning these days is a very much a specialist activity. I mean, you need uh, extensive training, you know, background in doctorates in machine learning to, to really do, you know, the nuts and bolts of that kind of work. Uh, and so where it would have been typical for someone in my role as a more traditional strategic analysis person to do basic types of data science, like regressions and those kind of things. Um, that's now not really considered data science anymore because it's gotten so much more sophisticated on on the high end. And so you, you, you generally have to decide, do you want to sort of keep with, you know, a lower level of what you'd call machine learning, but at the same time, a lot more connected to business value versus machine learning data scientists who, who treats much more in the abstract, much more sort of high level conceptual type approaches to problems that don't really directly solve a problem as much as they provide an input into something else that's solving the problem, like an application or, or, or some sort of forecast or something like that. Yeah, and so and so that the progression from the the hoodies to the sports coat, you see it as like it, that's a career progression. You you need the technical uh, understanding and uh, to begin with, but if but if you want to progress through the data science um, career path, then ultimately you're going to switch to uh, a business focused approach. Yeah, and I wonder how much of it is is my career path, where maybe people today, if you were starting out, you might not have to go down both of those roads because. You know, again, you, you can't just go to school to be a machine learning, uh, you know, engineer these days. Uh, but 10, 15 years ago when I was starting out, there wasn't a twinkle in anybody's eye. So, you know, you, you you found yourself sort of leaning into that professionally from a place where maybe you wouldn't need today. Um, but but certainly as you move up in seniority and, and sort of, you know, get to levels where you have a lot more perspective than just on the technical side of it. Uh, the the technical understanding is, is still important, but what's more important is the uh, being able to connect what you're doing to how to make money as a company. Yeah, and like you were, you, you said in that presentation, it's uh, turning data into dollars. Yeah, I love that phrase. I think it's a perfect it's a perfect illustration of of the frustration I think a lot of senior executives have when people come and talk to them about the value of data and data is an asset and. It's very easy for executives to understand how to turn most assets into value, right? Raw materials, you convert into products. It's very difficult to understand what that means to turn data into value. Um, and so so I, I think keeping that focus in mind is is a critical way of staying grounded and not just getting lost in the coolness of dealing with data. <laughs> yeah. The emphasis is on the data scientists to be able to help executives to understand the value of data and the data that's being presented to them versus just presenting the data and then expecting the executive to make the interpretations. Is that something you'd agree with? Yeah, great, great point. I mean, there's definitely a, a line between just showing data to people, which leaves it up to their interpretation, right? And in, in a lot of ways, that's not usually what you're doing, or that's not the value you're providing. You're, you're there to communicate something to them. And, and we talk about things like data storytelling or, uh, or, or crafting narratives with the data. It's because data by itself is just too unhelpful. <laughs> you, you really have to turn that into something that people yeah. can understand. And that's a different skill set than it is to just analyze and reproduce the same information. And and how how central is that tenant to your current role at Adeco? 
So what I really focus on and what my team focuses on is the, the physical nature of that data. Uh, there's a, a term that we use for it called information adjacency. And that's where, as an analyst, you're doing some sort of analysis and you have you know, a certain amount of data that's available to you. And, and you might get an idea and you're sort of like, wow, what if I include this in the analysis? The time that it's going to take you to get from that thought to actually including it in the analysis could be months in most organizations that aren't really set up for that. And so where, where my team is really focused on is the moment you have that idea, a couple of hours later, you've got that data because we've already thought through a lot of that kind of thing, right? We've already established a lot. We've already moved a lot of that data around. And in your scale as an analyst, you can be much more agile and much more sort of uh, uh, moving forward with it without constantly having to step back into the infrastructure and the physical and the, those sort of big data issues. Uh, so that that's really where we're trying to focus now. And that's really interesting. Can you elaborate a bit more on how you've solved for that, how you've made that a reality at ADECO? You know, I think ADECO has been on a data journey over, uh, you know, over the course of, of 10 years or so of, of moving from um, a, a place where a lot of analysis was happening locally, right? That individual business users and leaders were doing the kinds of analysis that they need to run the business. And they were doing it largely within their own group, hiring their own analysts, you know, really focused on, on how they leverage it. And as a global organization, uh, we were in a unique position to take advantage of the fact that data is more valuable when you combine it with more data and, and do those same types of analysis at a higher scale so that every country in the world that ADECO operates in can achieve those same benefits. Um, but the problems with that, with, with organizing, controlling, uh, checking compliance, uh, dealing with the legal, the regulatory issues in the UK, the GDPR, right? Uh, it's a critical uh, thought process of how to deal with that. Those are very different problems than the typical, how do I get data into Excel so I can do an analysis? And so I think what you're seeing with teams like mine, and, and not just in ADECO, but you know, I, I think most very, very large firms are, are struggling with this is, we know that it's better to have all this data in the same place, but that's really hard. And, and it takes investment and it takes time and it takes executive commitment and buy-in. And I'm blessed to be able to have that in ADECO as they have really, really, really put the focus on Let's figure this out. Like we know it's hard. We know it's not easy, but let's let's do it. Let's make sure that we're dedicating the resources to do it. Anybody you talk to that's in this position, the first thing they'll talk about are the are the things that make it difficult. It's hard to get people to give me the data. Uh, it's hard to deal with the scale. It's hard to deal with having a large enough team to to really manage it all. It's hard to get security compliance people to sign off on all this. Um, and ADECO has done an amazing job of, of breaking those barriers down for people like me to make that work. Uh, and I'm very grateful for that. That's really an, uh, fascinating and, and interesting to hear. Can you talk more about how you've broken down those barriers? It's fantastic to know that, you know, ADECO has that position and is, and is really supportive, but how have you started to accomplish and overcome some of those challenges? A lot of things with compliance in, in when you get out of the strict legal regulatory framework, um, a lot of it is kind of risk management, right? Exfiltration is something we talk about a lot. So there, there's exfiltration where we're leaking, you know, uh, uh, we're like a candidate database is exposed. We absolutely have to do everything to prevent that, right? And so uh, it, it is a, a critical focus of every, any organization of our size to control that kind of thing. Um, but that's not the same kind of exfiltration as, say, uh, financial numbers that are being published to uh, the market for consumption by investors. That's exfiltration. Uh, but it's it's good exfiltration. So the gray area in the middle is where most analysis in an organization happens. And 
I think it's really sort of being realistic about that, but then also acknowledging that it it won't be as easy to use data from a centralized function in a large organization as it would be if you were one guy at a startup doing analysis. The tools are different. The concerns are different. A startup, you know, has an interest in controlling the data, but it's not a it, it's not devastating if something happens, right? For an organization like a Deco, it is absolutely critical that we not allow any room for something like that to happen. Um, and and that's going to have higher costs and that's going to have more control, but that's the nature of, of being an enterprise and that's why it's different. And I think a lot of people in the data space uh, struggle at large enterprises because they would naturally see that as a limitation, right? And, and therefore it's a limitation, it's a frustration, it's more time. And where I've really taken the tack within a deco is to just embrace that and say, look, there's reasons for that. And you're not going to get around it by just insisting it's not necessary. You, you've got to address it and you've got to, to, to do what you do in a way that will work for those people in the organization. And if you do that, they'll be much more receptive to what you're trying to do because they really truly feel like you're understanding what they're doing. Yeah, and and part of it, I think, is is um, the whole topic of control and access to data. And, and the one approach is to say, well, we'll treat it on a use case basis. And yeah. you tell us what the yeah. use case is, and then we'll allow you to have the data sets to solve for that. The other is to allow the data to be accessible um, more from a permissions perspective and, and allow people to use it as and when they require. Is, is that how you approach the data control and access uh, question at ADECO? Yeah, in fact, we use that same, that same term, that use case term. It's a good way to conceptualize the combination of data and then the people who are working on it and then like the purpose, right? Uh, our interest as an organization in controlling the purpose varies kind of depending on the data. Every staffing firm, if you ask them what they're working on in AI, they're working on search and match, right? How do we match candidates against um, the job descriptions we have? It's basically what we do as a company. Uh, in in different regulatory age, uh, regimes, there are attributes of those candidates that you can and can't consider. Um, in most cases, uh, we don't consider things like gender. We don't consider ethnicity. We don't consider political uh, affiliation, things like that. Sometimes that's regulatory, and sometimes it's just as a company, we've decided ethically we don't want to do that. So if you're going to build a matching model, your compliance regime is going to be very, very interested in exactly what data you're using, right? Um, compare that to someone mm -hmm. who's producing a basic financial report for a line manager in a country. Um, we're not going to be as concerned about that because there's just not as many implications to the data being misused as much as it is just controlling access from a, a one manager seeing what the other manager is doing standpoint. But that's very different than the kind of, of use case-based control I think that you see at the high level. Yeah. And so being on that um, journey to becoming more data-driven and overcoming some of the challenges that you were just discussing, um, what has that allowed the organization to achieve or what has that allowed you to deliver to the organization? Yeah, so the, the, the biggest thing is just the ability to take work that's happening in a particular area of the company and then very easily leverage that work to benefit other areas of the company. Uh, when you allow that kind of hyper-local analysis, it's good because it's flexible and, and it allows people to move quicker. Uh, but you don't get the same return on investment of that if you can turn around and use that same thing, you know, something that was developed for one particular branch you know, in the U.S. I want to turn around and use that for the entire country of Spain. 
So it's difficult to do that if all of that work and the analysis and the data that's moving around isn't happening in the same place where you can kind of easily grab it. And that's where, you know, we talk about, you know, even my title is a data platform is that's the idea behind the data platform is you can easily take that kind of work and then reuse it. Um, and so you can call that ROI, you can call that, you know, reducing expenses, you know, you can call that just sort of scale of the type of analytical work that we do. Uh, but, but ultimately that's an, an easy way to show adding value from investment. It's very difficult in many cases to prove, especially ahead of time, that doing a particular thing with data is going to have value. Uh, and so you tend to come up with other ways of deciding whether it's going to have value, right? Not just the pure business EBITDA ROI. Things like bringing data together adds value. So quantify that? No, I can't do that. But I can tell you that it does. <laughs> and I can tell you that if 10 analysts are building in the same environment, that's <laughs> more valuable than 10 analysts developing in 10 environments, right? So you, you get an executive committee, a board, right. to buy into the idea that there are discrete steps we can take that do add value. I can't necessarily tell you an ROI, though. And some companies, that's going to be okay. And some companies are going to hate that. Yeah. And luckily, Adeco is one of those places that's been okay. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's great to hear. And I would, I would imagine that over time, the, the value is proved out. Yes. O over time, you develop a body of work. Not even that I do, that just for the people that we facilitate the access to end up developing that body of work. And at that point, you would look back and say, this was an obvious decision. Um, but it's never obvious when you're building, especially when you're early, especially when you're running into those problems with, you know, how do I deal with, you know, any large company is your data sources are going to number in the hundreds. You look at any given, you know, tool, they're showing demos of how yeah. their ETL solution works with 10 systems. Well, that solution is not going to work for hundreds of systems. Keeping track of the credentials for hundreds of systems is already <laughs> a difficult task, let alone moving data around with it. And so, those challenges are hard and complicated and take a lot of work to figure out, but you really have to have the vision of where it's going to be to power through, you know, the hard part at the beginning. Uh, and that's the journey that we're on right now. Yeah. The, the analogy I make is in marketing, there's a saying that, you know, you always want to work in a company that gets marketing or at least, you know, the, or, or moreover, you want to work for a CEO who gets marketing. And it's kind of the same with, with data, right? You want to work in a company and an executive team who get data. And just like in marketing, there are some aspects of marketing that you cannot actually put hard dollars to and, and quantifiably say, we do that because we can drive X return. Yeah, on certain initiatives, you can absolutely do that. Uh, and, it, and I think the analogy is the same with what you're saying in, uh, with regards to the data initiatives you, you're driving. Yeah, no, it's, it's actually uh, the comparison with marketing is, is probably pretty apt. Yeah. At, at, at least the cost of storage of data isn't such a, an issue anymore. It's it's not. In in many ways, that's that's more recent, right? The 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 evolution of the cloud and 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 the capabilities that it's given in terms of uh, reducing some of the constraints that we used to face, right? So with the traditional on-premises data warehousing, there's a big focus on you know the size of the data, the cost, the processing, and then there were a lot of decisions you'd have to make up front about how big it should be and how many people should be supporting it. And the thing the cloud gives you is it all just kind of flexes and it costs more or less money depending on what you're doing, which is great if that's how you're approaching it, right? Is saying, well, we're going to ramp up and we're going to get going and the costs are naturally going to increase over time, but the value we're getting from it is also increasing over time. And so it has a much more linear relationship than, than it used to. 
And that reduces a lot of barriers. Someone comes and asks, well, how much is this going to cost? And I would say, well, honestly, I, I don't know. But I know how much it's going to cost today and tomorrow and the next day. And then when we get through that, we'll have a trend and we'll be able to tell you. But you really, you can't know up front because that's not how the cloud really works. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Um, w one of the things that you've mentioned as being your current focus right now is monetizing incidental data. I'd love to dig into yeah. that a little bit more and understand what you mean by incidental data and monetizing it. Because you just talk briefly about the cost and the cost associated, but uh, but I think there's a there's a rich theme of uh, around you know incidental data and monetizing that. So I'd love to get an insight on on what you mean by that. So I like to use that phrase to describe data that kind of falls out of what the company's doing. It's not necessarily what the company's doing, but it's just kind of data that's created along the way. You know, can you give uh, can you give an example of what that might be? Sure. So you think about a staffing company. Uh, so we help people get jobs. We put people to work. And as a part of doing that, we we process a lot of resumes. We we compare those against our job descriptions. We facilitate recruiters who are trying to find the best jobs for the best people. And as doing that, uh, they spin off a lot of data about how they're considering resumes and um, and how they're lining those resumes up against those job descriptions. So they're doing that as a normal part of their job. That's their job is to do that. But while they're doing that, there's this incidental data flowing out that's what's important about a job that actually determines whether or not this person is good for it. And while that's not literally their job, we can take that data, we can collect it from thousands of recruiters all over the world, and we can use that to create a way better matching service for that type of thing than any third party that that like any third party matching engine because they don't know who got the job right they know they could sort of do it at a high level of these things seem the same but i can go in and tell you if they look like that and this job description looks like that this is how likely they are to get the job because i know how likely they are to get the job and that's incidental data that we can just turn around. We can use inside of a deco. We can publish to our, our sister companies to use. We can sell as standalone products if we wanted to that we're uniquely positioned to get because we've really thought through what that means to have that data available. Yeah, and clearly I was just thinking about um, when you were talking through that, how connected you are to the needs of the business. And... Like if people are listening and thinking, how do I start to monetize the data in a very tangible way, then it's about really understanding how to add value to the business by understanding what's happening in, in the business itself and what they need, whether, whether it be in the example you described or in a sales situation or even in a marketing situation. A absolutely. And the more centralized you try to do the data function, the higher that risk is. Because the benefit of, you know, doing analysis for a local manager with a local analyst is that they know exactly what's happening, right? They um, they already have a lot of context. They already know a lot about the process yeah. and it's easier for them to interpret it. I've been been blessed in that when I started with ADECO, I, I, I was in one of those businesses. And so I at least was able to gain enough of an understanding of how that business worked from a data and a reporting and analysis standpoint that when I when I come up to the global level that I'm, I'm at least grounded in that. Um, but but even I, my knowledge base is mostly focused on the US and they do things differently in the UK where you are and they do things differently in other parts of Europe and, and, and Asia and APAC and on and on. So finding ways to, uh, to, to, to keep that knowledge grounded enough that you're not just 
playing with data in the cloud and you're actually then using it to water you know the the field um, is a, is a big challenge a big challenge does organizational structure have a role to play in meeting that challenge it, it does the uh, bigger organizations struggle with this kind of centralization decentralization spectrum for things that everybody needs to do right so data everybody needs to analyze data so how centralized do you make that? How decentralized do you make that? And your best solution is to do both, is to have some part of it as a central capacity, but then some part of it is also very decentralized. And the way that we try to do that is because my team doesn't have people who are literally on the ground uh, doing the, the analysis work. So what we try to do then is to facilitate communities of people that do that. And analysts, if you talk to a lot of analysts, people that are on the ground in the business, they can feel quite isolated because the type of work that they do is typically very different from the normal everyday work that uh, that's going on in the business, right? Most of the people that are on the ground in a deco are, are recruiters or salespeople that are out there with clients, you know, filling deals. So uh, an analyst is kind of on his own, right? He's he's he needs peers of his to talk about and. Mm and talk around the water cooler about analyst stuff, and he's not gonna be able to have that conversation with a recruiter or a salesperson in many cases. So we find that they're actually very willing to participate in these kind of communities and talk about how they're analyzing things in the US with one of their peers that's analyzing things in the UK. And, and we facilitate those conversations so that we're there and we can hear those things and we can start to craft the way we do it. So you've gotta find some way to get that communications flowing. It's just gonna be different in every organization. Yeah, for, for sure. And that facilitation is key. How, how, how do you facilitate that? I think what you'll find with a lot of organizations that have analysts who are working with local businesses is they relish the opportunity to network with their peers and share their work and, and, and that it's one of the few places they can really feel like people will appreciate how difficult this kind of work is. <laughs> and if you provide them a venue, in a lot of cases, they'll, they'll, they'll just show up. You won't have to push that hard. And, and, and if you're in that kind of a company, then that may be as much as you have to do. You mentioned that, it, you know, how um, supportive ADECO, the executives are. From, so from a cultural perspective, it's, it's clearly a company that's, that's data-driven and data-positive and is very much on the, on the, on the data-driven journey. Is that, is that something that permeates the entire organization? Or are you still on a, uh, on a journey at certain levels? Like you were just mentioning, you've got the data, the analysts that are in region, and they're working alongside folks that are in the field. Um, to what degree do you feel like operationally within the within the countries and within the regions outside the executive suite are is the company data driven? At the top, very clear buy-in. I mean, you 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 will not find an executive in most enterprises these days that will not go on and on about the value of data. Um, as you start to move through the organization, it gets a little more uneven. Not because of the expectations, but just because of people's experiences, right? Uh, different different managers have different management styles, and some of those management styles are very data driven, and some of them are I'll call it data enhanced. Is a part of data driven, um, but that's okay. I mean, a, a lot of times managers are data driven because they're not comfortable making decisions based off their gut instinct. But other managers have been doing it for uh, for for you know thirty years, and they're a little more comfortable, and and they'll more use the data to confirm you know the the decision making that they were having. So. I, I think you do see a proliferation of people saying, 
we want to use data to make decisions. I think you're hard pressed to find anybody that you'll get to admit to say, I don't ever want to look at reports. I don't ever want to look at data. I think what you just see is a varying degree at which the data is driving the decision versus confirming or informing a decision that's being made, you know, by an individual manager because of their expertise. Yeah. And, and some of that is, as you described, experiential. Some of it is, yeah, some folks are naturally more analytical and will uh, not feel comfortable if they're not using data. Others are more emotively based uh, and want to trust their gut. Um, but there, but there also can be in the other sense of the term of experience, experience using data that in the past hasn't proven to be perhaps trustworthy. And therefore they're kind of like, well, I, they're starting to ask questions in the, of the integrity of the data. And, and then that leads them away from making data-driven decisions. Is that anything that you've had to tackle either at a DECA or in your past in terms of helping to turn around folks that perhaps haven't had the greatest experience of using data to drive their decisions? Yeah. It's always a question of how much you trust the data that you're getting. And as as data professionals right. would tell you, is we don't create the data, right? We're we're getting it, we're interpreting it, we're reading it, we're organizing it, we're, we're structuring it, but we don't create it. Something else creates it, some sort of business process. And I'm not in charge of that. <laughs> so in some cases, the data quality is, you know, did the report refresh on time? Now that's the kind of data quality that, that we sh- as data professionals should be able to own. But the other kind of data quality is, did someone enter it in the system correctly? And, 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 and we can't really control that. Uh, but what we can do is give visibility to whether or not that's happening correctly or not. And so, you know, it's one thing for right. a, a, a report to be wrong. It's a different thing for you to tell the person the report is wrong so that they don't use it to make a decision. And then there's some sort of a process that's correcting it. Uh, and I think that's where we have to try to to focus is, um, is a very realistic assessment of what our scope can be as data professionals. And we mostly focused on informing and visibility if there are data quality issues. Uh, and, 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 and the worst case scenario is that someone makes a decision on bad data. Yeah, but picking up what you, you just said in terms of, from your perspective, it's not necessarily the, the data professional's responsibility to uh, ensure that the quality of the data that's inputted into the systems is valid and trustworthy and of quality. You can report out on the fact that it's not. Where do you see that that responsibility lies? Uh, you know, there's a famous case of, for example, uh, Target who opened their stores in Canada and and ultimately had to come back out of their um, move into Canada because they had such problems with their SAP instance related to the data that was inside it that they couldn't. They had massive inventory challenges and empty stock shelves. I mean, when the data quality isn't there, it can really have a highly negative impact on the business. Um, so wh- whose responsibility, in your opinion, is it to guarantee or watch over the quality of the data that's coming into the systems? So watch over, I think that's where we can play a role. Um, you know, you can use kind of rules-based approaches of saying, whenever this is this, then this thing should be this. And therefore, if it's not, I can tell you that it's not. Um, where it's more of like a, a, a business process I always tell people that we have to be realistic about it. So if if there's a piece of data that we're asking people for as a part of the process, and it's not actually required for the process, it's just that we are asking for it because we want to know it. 
it's going to be very difficult to have that be high quality because it's the, the, there's there's not an incentive from the person entering it. So if you can provide ways of providing value to those users with the data that they're putting in, then you create not a, a not a responsibility. You create sort of an incentive feedback loop. So one thing that we really focused on is when when recruiters are working within our systems and they're trying to make decisions about how much should we pay for this job and how much should we uh, how much should we recruit this, how much should we post this for. Um, as they're entering the data into the system to, you know, put the job order in, uh, we're trying to provide context based on that information as much as possible. So if they put in a salary, we're going to pop up something that shows the relative salary range in that, in that area, right? If we're trying to get them to put in a, a job code in a very specific way, as soon as they put the code in, we're going to pop up some information related to that job code that's going to help them. And if they look at that information and say, well, well, this isn't this isn't the job I just put in, then they'll go and switch it. Whereas before, if they if they got it wrong, it would have just been something that we looked at later and it was kind of a problem. Um, so you have to provide ways of giving people incentive to enter the right information that is actually then helping them do their job better instead of it just being something that management right. dictates you have to put in. Yeah, so so providing that feedback loop to the user, or the benefit loop, I would say, is critical to ensuring that it's not just a, a constraint on what they're doing. Exactly. It's got to be immediate. It's like any behavioral modification, right? The feedback has to be immediate. Um, and that's yeah. where it can't just be a data platform of fourth that comes out later that gives you the percentage of people who filled the field out, right? right? It's got to be way more classic than that, yeah. Switching switching gears just slightly because uh, you know we're we're coming towards the the back sure. end of our conversation, um, and just thinking about the the constant role and evolution of the role of data leaders. Yeah, it'd be really interesting to get your perspective on the best piece of advice or career advice that you've ever gotten over time. Next thing I mentioned before about being pragmatic. Uh, that's probably the biggest advice that I give to data professionals, because you come into an organization, you come into a role and you say, think of all the cool things I could analyze, you know, think of all the, the value I could provide if I analyze all these things. Um, you're way too far out of your, over your skis already. It's, it's, you need to understand the data. You need to understand what it can tell you, what it can't tell you. And then you need to figure out what you can do because that's how you demonstrate value. If you just sit back and say, well, I'm going to do this analysis, and in order to do this analysis, I need these five data points. So now I'm going to go have people enter all these five data points into the system. It's either not going to happen, or it's going to take so long for you to accrue enough information into the analysis that you know, you'll have moved on to something else by then. So you really have to stay grounded in what exists when you start. As you get further along, and you've exhausted all the, we would call that low-hanging fruit maybe, um, then you can start to say, well, if I had this one extra piece, uh, then then uh, then I'll be able to do more with it. But you can't do that in the beginning. You you don't have the organizational trust. You know, you you, you don't have the authority to make the changes. You you've got to provide value first with what you have, and and then move on to the the bigger, cooler stuff. And uh, yeah, and I and I think the the other thing, just on, on complementing on that, is working with the data that you've got, but also partnering with the business to understand what analysis is going to be relevant to what they're doing? Yes. So part of that understanding the data 
is understanding what it's telling you about the business process. And I, I, I found in my experience that people who are doing business processes don't necessarily understand what exactly the data looks like as it's coming out of the systems on the back end. Um, they just know how they're using the system. And of course, the data model behind a system is very different than the user interface. Otherwise, every system would just be a database entry screen, right? Um, so you really do have to spend a lot of time talking to them about when you do this, what is that going to look like for me? Or the other way around, which is I'm seeing this. What did you do that made it look like that? And the only person that's going to be telling you how to do that is somebody in the business. So you, right. you should be making friends <laughs> with smart people who are doing the job that you're supposed to analyze so that you can just ping them, you know, over your chat or your email and say, hey, what is this? And they'll go, oh, that's because we do it this way. And you've just saved yourself yeah. months of work just by that little simple question. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, data, the data space, data science is uh, an evolving field and is constantly evolving. And so what, what, if any, resources do you use to stay on top of your game? What, re what resources would you recommend others um, to others to, to stay on top of their game or to continue to, to grow and learn and evolve? Yeah, in this space specifically, I try to stay a lot closer to what's happening in the the, the sort of startup small company space within data. Uh, that's really where most of the innovation is happening now, um, with with new ways of doing things, and 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 it's much more of an embrace of the open source movement. And so many of the tools that we take for granted now have their genesis within the open source movement. Um, and the people who are sort of experiencing that just don't tend to be in large organizations. They, they don't tend to be people like me. They tend to be people who are working in the sort of cutting edge startups. So it, it's not to say that you can leverage a lot of that stuff, because again, we have a completely different scale. We have completely different compliance issues, but some of the problems that we have can really, really be helped by that mindset versus the sort of big enterprise traditional IT mindset, um, which I think is where a lot of people come from, where everything is big and waterfall-y and, and, and very well thought through. Versus the the startup, you know, uh, smaller mindset of agility and, and flexibility, um, and and in the data space specifically, I think it really benefits from from that different perspective. And and um, the way that you get to learn about these startups uh, and the great stuff that they're experimenting with and bringing out and innovating on, is that through a select uh, number of communities that you you follow and uh, and involved with. Me personally, I just. Check Hacker News every day. I don't know if you guys are familiar with uh, Y Combinator puts out a, a lot of good nice. content around um, startups. Yeah. Uh, only because Y Combinator is kind of famous as, as an accelerator for startups. And so a lot of the people that are associated with that are then by definition in that mindset. Um, and they tend to then share innovative concepts about different ways of approaching things, different tools, uh, you know, different people that are thinking about problems. Um, and it's just, it's a very different body of, of knowledge than you would get by following, you know, mm. a, a big enterprise IT kind of ICIMS type, you know, uh, publications that are being put out. 100%. I, th that's it. That's, me. that's all we've got time for the, today. Thank you so much, Philip. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show and, uh, yeah, really, really great talking to you. Thank Absolutely. you for joining. Yeah. Thanks so much, Rob. Appreciate it. Truth Be Known is brought to you by Talend, a leader in data integration and data governance. Talend enables data and analytics leaders to deliver healthy data across their organization to drive business outcomes. 
Talon Data Fabric is the only platform that seamlessly combines a suite of data integration and governance capabilities to ensure data is complete, clean, uncompromised, and readily available. Learn more at talon.com. T-A-L-E-N-D dot com.